the di dynamics of uh, time series forecasting is very like fluid and uh, it requires constant uh, improvements, constant work. What you notice as well is that the need um, for a sales forecast can be different for different teams. To do any kinds of forecasts or data analytics, we need clean and reliable data. Pretty much what, what happens is that we can easily create new experiment branches. And then it also checks if the forecasts indeed are within certain ranges, if you know they are not too high, too low. If... We as a team were uh, proud of was the creating the COVID severity feature. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you. Speaking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Yeah, today a topic that's actually quite dear to me. And that's because one of the first topics uh, that I worked on when joining Bol.com uh, yeah, involved a mechanism to forecast our sales data. And today we're talking about that subject again. However, if I compare the state to what I've been working on, and what we're going to talk uh, uh, about today, I think we've made some uh, huge steps. And if you're interested in one of these steps, uh, almost no, over two years ago, we already um, talked about forecasting uh, in the podcast. We have a great uh, episode from uh, May 2019. Uh, but yeah, today we're very curious what happened since then. Uh, so Peter. Yeah, and, and uh, in, indeed, forecasting, you already said it in the preparation, Peter Paul, uh, forecasting is the best, so I'm really curious. Um, and for me, curiosity is also about, okay, had, uh, since Corona times, we, we grew uh, even uh, harder than we uh, than we did before. Uh, I'm really curious how, how you can keep up with forecasting in, in these numbers of growth and with these unexpected things. So those uh, those items are really nice to touch upon, I think. Um, and and also the question, yeah, is it is it possible at all to to forecast for such a for such a platform? Um, yeah, how do how do we deal with that? So, yeah, Peter Paul, time to introduce the guests and uh, let's ask them anything about forecasting. Yeah, so we have two experts today again. If uh, uh, Katja Peso Silva, she's a data scientist in forecasting and presenting at uh, at conferences. That's also why we invited them uh, to the podcast. And we have uh, Eric Lewison. Yeah, he's in the same team, I believe. So also a data scientist in forecasting. Yeah. So I already know what's so cool about uh, forecasting because I've worked on it myself. But yeah, could you tell the audience what's so cool about forecasting? Yeah, definitely. So, of course, forecasting is quite broad, right? You have a lot of different types of forecasting. When it comes to what we do, the coolest thing is really to provide data insights into the future, which really help the teams that we work with to make better decisions for Bull.com. And at the end of the day, this is all about making sure we have the desired level, uh, operating at the desired level that our customers want us, but also at the same time at the lowest costs, right? So it has a huge impact for both customers and the company. And I think that's, uh, yeah, what it is so cool about it. On top of that, I think we also get to work with a lot of different teams and uh, that also makes our work a lot of fun. But I'm sure Eric also has a view on that because it's a very interesting question. 
Yeah, sure. For me, also the impact on the business is like the coolest thing because uh, at, at the case of Bold.com, it's even more tangible because well, most of us are also uh, customers of Bold.com. So the more accurate our forecasts are, we can also see the impact ourselves. And also the, the other thing that's, that really comes to mind is that um, yeah, the forecasting landscape is ever changing. There, are, there is no like uh, solution that we put something out there and it, it will perform like uh, great forever because the yeah, the landscape's changing, the trends change, events like COVID happen. So yeah, the, the dynamics of uh, time series forecasting is very like fluid and uh, it requires constant uh, improvements, constant work. So that's also where yeah, to solutions like data, data science and uh, all machine deep learning tools can work really well. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, uh, back when I worked on forecasting, we, had, we kind of had a mechanism to kind of calculate an average demand per week, and then we kind of spread that uh, depending on the on the day of the week over the week, and that was kind of the forecasting for that day. That very high over, of course, there were details, blah blah, blah but that was was how it worked. Uh, but that's quite different than compared to today. Could you explain a little, uh, yeah, what's the state of our forecasting at Bolton, uh, the sales forecasting, how does how does it work? Yeah, so indeed in the in the forecasting team, we work uh, broader than just on sales forecasting. Sales forecasting is uh, part of what, uh, what we do. And even within sales forecasting, there's a lot of different things we do. So one of them, it's uh, indeed sort of similar to, to what you did in the past, where we are looking at predicting for each product, how much we're going to sell over the next weeks. And that one is very important, of course, to help uh, the, the teams who are busy with sourcing and buying to know exactly how much they need of each product to have on the shelf so that our customers are happy, right? Um, but there's also other types of sales forecasting we need to do. So we also have, for example, the sales at large. So exactly how many items in total are we selling? Because this is important to know uh, for customer service, how many calls they're going to get. We also do sales forecasting on a different granularity where we consider just uh, what we process ourselves, which is very important for logistics, for example. So currently within the team, we have uh, different types of sales forecasts and they all, well, not all of them, but for example, the product forecasts and the more aggregated forecasts already have uh, completely different models behind them and they use different data and they are essentially even different uh, products within the team. So it's just yeah, very interesting because what you notice as well is that the need um, for a sales forecast can be different for different teams. And we try to make sure to provide the, the most accurate solution uh, for each one of those. So that's why we have different uh, models and use different data to predict either on a product level or on an aggregated level, whatever the level is. It could also be on shop level or product group level um, because they are important for, for different teams on the decisions they're making. So that's also what we try to, to do. We don't have a general uh, forecast that can serve everyone, but really try to take the um, business case into account for each one of the, of the teams that works with us. Okay. Yeah, to to get an idea of the uh, extent of the problem for for how many products are we doing this forecast? I think that's. Oh yeah, so the product forecast it keeps evolving. <laughs> when yeah, uh, we started, I remember we had I think around 1.5 million products, and now we are I believe above uh, 3 million. 
So these are the number of products that we forecast. The, these are not all the products we have on our on our platform, of course, but the ones that we need an accurate forecast for. Um, and these are provided every day for the next uh, 12 weeks, which is, uh, yeah, a really challenge as well to to get that right, of course. I can imagine. And but and then, but you also stated that you have like different models, also the aggregated ones. Should there be like an a coherence between the two? Eh? Because in the end, you would think that if you sum up the uh, or yeah in the end aggregate the the individual forecast that it would be like the same number as the other one or is that not necessary because the goal that's required or the, the, the thing that the business is trying to achieve is just different well there is some coherence between them but it's not one-to-one -one. so the reason behind this is that we can we could use some tools that put constraints on the forecast that they are always uh, they will always match up. So the lower levels, if we go with uh, the, the lower granularity, they will add up to the higher ones and so on until we reach the total. But uh, what we try to do is we try to provide as accurate forecasts on each of the levels of, of aggregation. And this is also like a sacrifice we are making that they are not always adding up. So on a, on a very high level, they will correspond to each other more or less, but it's not a perfect one-to-one -one fit. But all this to yeah basically serve the needs of the different departments better, right? Yes, exactly. Because not not like the different levels of aggregation are used by different departments or teams. So it's not that uh, it's a hard requirement for them to add up. It would be a nice feature to have, but it's also not very relevant for different teams because as long as their forecast is as accurate as possible, they are perfectly happy with it. Yes, and, and what are the timelines for the forecast? Is it like a forecast for the coming week or the, the month? Or how does that look like for the different uh, needs? Yeah, that really depends on the team we're working with um, because like they, they may need different aggregation levels. That's already one of the things, but they also need different timescales. So, for example, for logistics, you will be talking about uh, having a forecast eight weeks ahead. For customer service, it's actually 14 weeks ahead. Um, for a product level, which which is the one that uh, helps uh, the sourcing experts, would be 12 weeks. But we also have requests on much longer term planning. So sometimes you also need to do uh, 18 months ahead kind of prediction, also in terms of sales to help also with budget decisions and you know even strategy decisions in that sense. So it really depends on the team we're working with. And indeed, we just try to really analyze each one of the cases. We always start by, of course, also prioritizing what um, helps the company best first, because uh, we, of course, don't have enough hands to handle all the requests that we have from all the teams. Um, but we try to pick up the ones first that have the highest impact and then uh, really understand the problem so we can provide uh, a suitable solution for it. Cool. And in general, is there like a generalization of how this forecast is used? Because you, you mentioned so many different approaches actually from almost uh, daily planning to like strategy planning yeah indeed so th there's no um one way that uh, in which they are used there is definitely one thing we have in common so um in the forecasting team we of course try to provide the most accurate forecast for each one of the problems we are trying to solve and this could be a sales forecast or more an operational forecast uh, for either customer service or logistics um, but at the end of the day, our team provides the most accurate uh, forecast or what is likely to happen, given, of course, what has happened in the past. 
and given all the information we know about the future. But all the teams have their autonomy, right? So um, within bold.com, what happens is that teams will be provided with this best forecast they can get and they can still make a decision based on it. So suppose that they have an insight uh, that the model doesn't have currently or is just not able to capture, then they can still adjust this forecast and they also translate it, for example, um, into an actual planning. So if you look at logistics or customer service, they will then know how many items we are going to process or they know how many uh, interactions from customers they should expect, but then they still need to translate this into how many people we need at the warehouse or how many people we need answering those calls. Um, but again, they, they have the, the autonomy to make their own decisions. We just try to provide the best forecast possible for that decision to also be as good as possible, uh, but they still have full autonomy on it. And uh, what we try to do as well is to provide advice and a lot of analysis on the performance of the forecasts such that they can also make uh, as better decisions as possible. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, and, and uh, to do this, what, what kind of tech do we need to, to, to create these forecasts? Well, it's a combination of quite a lot of different pieces. So the first one and uh, arguably one of the most important ones is the data. So to, to do any kinds of forecasts or data analytics, we need clean and reliable data. And this is not only for what we are trying to forecast. So for example, the sales or the customer support interactions, but also for the potential predictors. So for example, in the case of the sales forecast, it's really important that we know, for example, if there are any marketing activities planned or if there are any other kinds of promotions that uh, can impact the sales. So that's uh, definitely very important for us to have this, this kind of information so we can take it into account uh, in our models. Then uh, yeah, for all the data science part, we are using Python and all the libraries available in the ecosystem. So yeah, we use Python pretty much for all the set, <coughs> sorry, all the steps of the, the modeling. So from data preparation, data wrangling, exploration, to building some prototypes, uh, then exploring them further, tuning the models, and then ultimately putting them to production. And one more very important thing for team forecasting that we are using is the Delphi platform. So it's a platform built by our software engineers, and it's uh, well pretty much making the lives of data scientists much easier because yes, it's a combination of different building blocks that allow us to experiment quickly. We can put different experiments simultaneously uh, out there, run them in shadow mode, and then evaluate the performance to see if, for example, adding a new feature or changing the model or tuning the model differently actually improves our forecasts. And uh, yeah, probably the one of the key components of the platform is Airflow, which we use for scheduling or our tasks. So this includes the ETL. So all the data related part, the pipelines, building the features, getting the data, manipulating it, putting it in correct format for the models to pick up. And then all the, the modeling tasks are also scheduled there. So this way we are sure that the models will not start training before the data is ready. And then all the other steps are also run sequentially. So we, we will not like release the data that we still don't have because the models are, are still training and predicting. So uh, this makes our lives definitely much, much easier so, since uh, the platform was created by our team. Yeah. Can we can we go back to the starting with the data part? And um, uh, you described that you 
have kind two types of data and the data what happened uh, in in the past uh, that's that's one part and the other part is the data that says okay marketing is going to do this and this and this activities and, uh, um, and maybe other stuff that's going to be happening uh, is there also a, a data flow coming from the the things you predicted in the past and that you want to work again with to to see uh, if, and what the outcome was of of a previous prediction and then improve the the current one or is that the training part that you're referring to so we are not directly feeding our own forecasts into the same model like the, the, the feedback loop but what we are doing is uh, for example the sales forecast is a model that's um, spilling over into different forecasts. So for example, for the logistics and the customer service, we are naturally using the sales forecast because this is one of the main drivers for the other models. So while we are not working iteratively the same model using its own past uh, forecasts, we are using our different forecasts for different projects as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and if you talk about uh, the input data, what numbers are we talking about? Is it uh, huge or really huge? Well. It, it, it can be huge, uh, especially for the product level, but uh, for the aggregated level, it's not that huge because if you think about it in terms of days, it's only like a few years at, at best, then it, it's not a really large, like we're not talking about big data per se, because it's uh, like still like a manageable number. But naturally this explodes if you go to the product level and then uh, 3 million products and the uh, daily level, then yeah, yeah this is uh, quite heavy. Yeah, so what numbers are we talking then if you talk about product level just curious definitely more than three million times uh, the number of days right okay but uh, i don't have a number at hand so i go and just to um so the thing that that's really like model.com specific besides training the model is what you call the delphi platform so we created some kind of platform framework where we can run experiments, uh, uh, compare them with uh, with previous uh, things and with, with other experiments to, I guess, actually assess how well the training of the model went. Is, is it like a correct assumption or just work a little differently? Because I think there's some of the magic uh, that can is really helping the team to, to come with fast and good results. Is that true? Uh, okay, I will answer this. Uh, yeah, it, it's true. So. Pretty much what happens is that we can easily create new experiment branches and then uh, because the platform is created in a way that all of them can run individually, there is so the data that we are still providing for our stakeholders, the, so the, the master branches and the, the, the actual production data, it's totally independent of all the experiments. So we have the certainty that whatever we are experimenting with, we can clearly do so in a way that it will not harm the production uh, projects. And if we decide afterwards that uh, it's been running for quite some time and the results are satisfactory, we managed to do an improvement, we can easily with pretty much a click of a button merge the, the changes and the new stuff into the, the current production version and immediately start serving the new forecasts, new and improved forecasts to our stakeholders. So yeah, yes, it's... Uh, Pretty much what you described. Yeah, I think a, a really great advantage of it as well is, so I still remember being from the time where we didn't have the platform or Airflow. And back then, if we wanted to do an experiment and retrain the model, it could take us almost an entire week. 
when we had, you know, everything on cron jobs. And then also you needed to kind of make an estimate of we hope the ETL finishes at, uh, let's say, 2 a.m. And then fingers crossed the forecasts can be predicted afterwards. Um, and in this way, since we have airflow and disease of experimentation, you can run experiments in a day and just really innovate much faster, which was something that before was just not possible. And a really another cool feature as well that our engineers worked on, which is now also integrated in the platform, is a library which allows us to also have some sort of gatekeeping of our forecast, which allows us to check if we are outputting sensible numbers, uh, which of course is hard to know because we, we don't know yet what's going to happen, but we know, um, you know which kind of ranges we should be expecting. And we really try to make sure that if the model would misbehave for some reason, we catch that before our stakeholders or our users actually see it. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that's the Dr. Watson library uh, that they built for us, and it's really really helpful. Sometimes we even spot data issues uh, from other teams by using this library on our side, and uh, yeah, it really helps us to also make sure that what we provide is already, let's say, automatically checked for a certain level of quality. Yeah, so the Dr. Watson is like an outlier detection or something very put very roughly, in a way uh, exactly so we check everything since data from for the data sources to ensure that all the data we need is there in in a good uh, in a good uh, way and then it also checks if the forecasts indeed are within certain ranges if you know they are not too high too low if we don't have zeros or negative numbers all these kinds of things it's something that indeed uh, dr watson checks for us and then you know if everything is fine then it is happy and it publishes it to to BigQuery. if something is wrong it just throws us a red light and says guys you need to look into this and this is really helpful since we have been growing so much also in the number of forecasts we are providing there's no way that every day we could be checking it manually so this has really been a great improvement to also automate those uh, those checks and this Dr. Watson, is that something we built ourselves or is that? Yes, an, our an engine, engineers built it. Yeah. Because at the time when we uh, started to, to need it, there was still nothing out there. I believe now there's already one or two other libraries open source who do something similar. Uh, but uh, back then this was not the case and it is still uh, yeah, one of the things we use the most in our flow uh, of uh, predicting and uh, also yeah, looking at data sources. Exactly. So what I think is really cool about it is that we're basically also doing automation of our operations because there's an operations part to uh, to forecasting as well. And this is where you really see that we, uh, both with the with the Delphi platform and with the Dr. Watson, that we uh, move to a level where we're automating the operations part. And I think that a lot of companies are still in experimenting and using some of the outcomes in, of uh, data science on production. And we are to a level where we're automating that operations part. And I think that's really cool uh, to see and gives a lot of benefits. And really, as you also already mentioned, accelerates the level at which we can learn and the models uh, and can improve the models. And I think that's great to see. Did I forget an aspect that's also facilitated by this? I think it's indeed what you're saying and what really I think is the key there is that we work in a cross-functional team, right? So this collaboration between having the software engineers so close to the data scientists really help us. Well, it helps them supporting us in the best way possible because they also know the products very well and they know exactly what our uh, issues are and what uh, is slowing us down. So I, I really enjoy that, that you have then all the knowledge you need within the same team and you can just move forward really fast. 
And, and then we're at that level and we're predicting for and it's kind of moving smoothly. And then, yeah, things happen like COVID. And then, then there's your model. And there's how do you train a model to work with things like that, like with the pandemic and, and the, the changing behavior of your customers, which, which is really suddenly, uh, yeah, behavior change. Yeah. So for a while, like I still remember being in the office in around, you know, mid-February 2020, we started seeing the sales pattern to change. <laughs> uh, so as an example, we saw that suddenly we were selling a lot of mouth masks and a lot of uh, hand gel, all these types of products. But, you know, we were sitting in the office. It was still not a big issue in the Netherlands. And we were kind of joking, you know, probably two, three weeks, this will be over and we don't need to worry about it because also it was not expected from us. Um, at that time that, you know, the forecast will be perfect. Everyone was kind of aware there's no way we can cope with this. Um, but it was very interesting because we see all this weird behavior then also longer term. So I remember at least throughout March and April, it was really significant, not only the volumes we started to see, which was something that, you know, I think not any growth function for Vol.com would have shown before. Um, we saw that seasonality patterns were not uh, making any sense. So, for example, usually during that time, um, the travel products kick off a lot and we just didn't sell any. Uh, we kept selling a lot more of health products, like with the mouth mask and the, the hand gel, all these types of things. So it was a really weird time, also in terms of how the business shifted, because suddenly a lot was online. That was not before. Um, we also grew immensely on the amount of partners we started work to work with, which also changes the whole landscape for logistics and customer service. How do we cope with that? Um, so yeah, they were very interesting times. And of course, for a while, it was a bit, you know, there's not an expectation for us to be able to deal with it. However, it became clear soon enough that this was not a short-term situation. Um, and I think that's where we really needed to take a step back and where suddenly it was clear for everyone that actually people will start expecting from us to do better uh, than what we were doing at the time. Yeah, so you're pointing out quite some different uh, aspects that, that started changing, yeah, the, uh, the numbers that increased of sellers, but also about the, yeah, the e-commerce in general that started uh, uh, changing uh, different products. So a lot of parameters started changing can you take us with you in the, in the journey what how how did you start to adapt the the models or the, uh, maybe the input or the expected outcome what how did you approach it and what what did you change oh well so it involves definitely a lot of experimentation because uh, as with uh, yeah, data science in general there's not no one size fits all solution so we took it step by step tried a different uh, set of potential solutions for different projects that we have. So for the sales forecast, for the logistics forecast, one of the things that did work quite well and uh, we as a team were uh, proud of was the creating a COVID severity feature. So based on the input from press conferences in the Netherlands, which were over the last year quite common, and uh, everyone was looking forward to hearing whether there will be further restrictions or no restrictions or lesser restrictions. So based on those press conferences and other news around the country, we were able to create a feature indicating what kind of severity, what kind of COVID severity situation is there currently 
uh, in the country. And based on this, we could also incorporate this feature into our models to try for it to account for the, the changing situation. So for the times before COVID, naturally it was zero because there was no COVID. And then depending on how, how it went over time, we adjusted the feature dynamically. So for example, last summer, it, the restrictions were a bit lighter than uh, initially in March and then later on uh, closer to the end of the, uh, the year. So yeah, this feature captured this and was able to help us to model the data more accurately. And uh, one extra important aspect of having this COVID uh, severity feature is that we could do scenario analysis. So because a lot of the different teams that we are collaborating with, they have longer term agreements with their partners. It's important that we can somehow give them possible scenarios. So let's say that we are before summer and we have no idea whether the, the severity of uh, the restrictions will stay more or less the same or it will go down or it will increase. So using the, 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 the feature we created and different possible scenarios, we're somehow able to show them that a range of possible ways that the situation will develop. So how the forecast will look like if the restrictions are tighter or how it will look like if they stay the same or if they are lesser. So I think this was definitely helpful for, for them to make appropriate long-term agreements with their partners. And uh, yeah, maybe one more uh, use case because it was a bit different from, uh, from this solution is that uh, we are also providing an operational forecast for the workforce management at customer service. And we noticed there that just using this feature was not really helping that much. It was relatively not, uh, not changing the forecast at all. But at the same time, uh, due to our uh, conversations with the, the team, we noticed that the interact, interactions to items ratio, so how many customer support interactions are there relative to the numbers of items we sell, it started changing and dropping actually. So for pretty much a few years before COVID, it was relatively stable, of course, with some seasonal fluctuations. But since COVID started, it started going down rapidly. So we were able to create a different set of features, including some moving averages and uh, trying to account for the changing dynamics in this ratio to actually forecast the customer interactions more accurately. So yeah, as mentioned before, there is pretty much no one solution for all the projects. So we had to approach them individually and try to find the best one for each of those. Yeah, if, if you if you see a change in, in, in such a pattern, do you have to explain it first before you change your model to that or is that not necessary at all? Well, definitely explaining it helps, right? So the, the models receive, the, so if you don't change any features, you will just feed whatever is happening. but. Uh, it's not like that, let's say that some, a few days pass and uh, maybe the sales suddenly jumped and the model will be able to immediately pick out that, uh, hey, something changed, there is a different trend and uh, now the sales will be like by higher by ten, uh, hundreds of thousands of items. So definitely it, it requires a lot of work to actually try to come up with different features that will be able to somehow indicate to the model that something changed. And it's also not as simple as saying that before March 2020, there was no COVID, and after March, there is COVID, right? So then we, we also tried uh, a few simpler solutions than uh, the severity or the, the, the ratio between interactions and items. 
that they were not really that helpful. So it's in those cases when the, there is like a big change in the trend or something significant happens, it's definitely like quite intensive in terms of work and exploration just to try to figure out how we can help the models to actually understand what is happening. Yeah, and another step for that is, of course, also having a lot of conversations with stakeholders because it could be that something is happening, but maybe you don't necessarily want to model for it. So say, for example, if you notice a lot of interactions, one of the first things we need to check is, is this because the model is not working properly or is there, for example, that was an issue either at logistics or with PostNL with delivering the packages, right? So we also need to, if you just look at model performance, sometimes it's not that straightforward to see what if the models are doing something wrong or if it actually something just happened because we can only evaluate on reality and reality is not always perfect right we have the same with with sales we do want to predict demand uh, so what customers actually want but of course it's always tricky because there's just so many products we can sell also with uh, the products we have available and the warehouses we have so there's sometimes some cap capacity constraints and in that sense looking at how the model performed by just looking at uh, the data is not always enough. We really need to dig with the experts on these different domains and really understand, can you explain it by some other thing? Or is it indeed that the model is now not being accurate and we need to work further on it? So those conversations really helps us. And that's also why we have a very close uh, loop with all the teams we work with. Uh, we sit together at least once every two weeks or so to just discuss how the forecasts have been behaving and what is needed next um, to, to just make sure that we do that on the right way. And I can imagine that also from, from these conversations, uh, uh, yeah, spark other ideas to, to improve and, and, and to experiment. Can you yeah, guide us through the process? Is it for example, then, I, I don't know, someone in if, from one business department comes uh, comes with an idea and hey we could also try this and you will go for okay let's do it or maybe we tried it already or what do we need for that how does that work uh, yes yeah, so it it really depends uh, so first it always starts with uh, what is the value that we're trying to add so mm -hmm. we do notice very often that uh, domain experts might have a better insight on potential drivers that the model doesn't take into account yet. Um, so, for example, other types of information that we could use to, to help the model further. And of course, they will know that better because they know the domain very well. So say uh, an example would be with customer service, they will come to us and know exactly that uh, releases is something very important that we should try to integrate because we always get questions about releases. Um, so I think it's always then a conversation about effort and impact. So we always try to check because, of course, we have many requests. We always try to check, OK, if we would um, be able to increase the, the accuracy of the forecast by so much percent, how much would this actually translate in terms of uh, cost savings, but also you know customer satisfaction. Um, and usually some analysis needs to be done before we actually pick it up to really understand if this is the um, next most valuable thing we could be doing. Sometimes uh, it is and we pick it up. Other times it needs to go back to the backlog because there's something else that we should be picking up. But once we do pick it up, then indeed we just go through an experimentation cycle of um, first testing a lot of things. It can be that it works, it can be that it doesn't. So we first just have some experimentations to check potential of different types of information. And then if it works, we can 
define a proper epic to work on it and really make sure we bring it to production. Um, yeah, I don't know, Eric, if you want to add more about how the experimentation usually goes. Yeah, for, for me, it's uh, really interesting to like keep the business side in the loop. And also during, uh, we have prioritization meetings every quarter. So during those, both our side and the, the business side, they, we come up with different potential things that we, we could work on. And then, as Katia mentioned, we are uh, doing the evaluation of the effort versus impact. And uh, yeah, I must say that like from the data science perspective, it's always interesting to hear what the business is saying and what they think that uh, might impact the forecast, what could improve the forecast. But then also like it's a discussion between because not always what could theoretically improve the forecast is either feasible on our side to do so or there are different challenges. So potentially including weather is uh, one of those because on one hand, it can clearly improve the forecast. If we know that the, there will be a heat wave coming, then uh, it, like air coasts can uh, go up or, or uh, sw uh, swimming pools. But at the same time, this is also dependent on the weather forecast, right? So we, we can, of course, use historical weather data to feed into our model and then improve the forecast historically. But at the same time, we would be entirely uh, dependent on an outside source of information providing weather forecasts. And then, as we know, the longer term, the, the less accurate the weather forecast is, right? So there, there are always like the two sides of, of the coin. So how much it can actually bring to the table, but also is it really feasible on the data science side to use this as a reliable or uh, an important feature for the model? So we start. We should start our own uh, weather forecasting uh, department as well. <laughs> Is that what you said? <laughs> well, no, if can, we do a better job than other uh, other institutions working on this, why not? Then we can also make some extra money there. Uh, <laughs> I just I, I understand what you get. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if you go back to the predicted unpredictable, uh, you explained uh, what it was. Um, you you came up with the COVID severity. Lack of skill, I think it is. So uh, yeah. something you can you put uh, higher or, or lower when uh, when measurements uh, change, and that's the input for a translation into the the drivers of the model, right? So if the security goes yeah. up, maybe then you expect higher e-commerce sales, and if if uh, shops open up again, uh, physical stores, then it it will lower the such a number, for instance. But who is determining those numbers? Is that something you do, the business do? How how does that work? Well, yeah, that's this, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's an interesting one because indeed we had this discussion when we implemented it as well on who should have ownership over that, right? Because uh, I think different people could have different opinions about what the impact of uh, very specific restrictions could be. So given that uh, this affects the sale forecast at large, which means it will affect different teams, what we decided to do also given that we had done all the analysis to actually develop the feature is that we would be the ones uh, best informed in this case to also make that translation. So that, uh, I mean, is of course a big responsibility to take, um, but we just believe that it would be also the most accurate long-term instead of letting each stakeholder decide for themselves which severity they would like to use. Um, and it just involved a very interesting process of always, you know, we even started not even with the press conferences, but there was always information being leaked ahead of hand, right? So we would already yeah. have an idea of, 
oh, we'll need to take action very soon, so let's start thinking about this. And then we would just have a thorough discussion and try to map as best as possible what the new restrictions or lesser restrictions would be compared to a period that we had seen in the past. Um, so that's what we try to do and also to think about in the types of impact for e-commerce because not all restrictions would impact e-commerce the same. Um, so it was a very interesting process because it's completely different than what we are used to do on just developing the models and it's just really about um, thinking about what the impact could be and how do we go about giving it a number, right? Um, and you know, that goes with trial and error sometimes. So yeah. we do our best guess based on what we hear from the government, but that doesn't mean that people will behave like we expect them to behave, right? Um, so yeah, it has happened that a lot of times we were really spot on. It has happened that sometimes we thought um, it would be, you know, more severity or less severity and actually what we do is that then we kept monitoring every week how it was behaving. And sometimes we need to go back and say, well, actually, those last two weeks, you should have been something else because, you know, we're a bit off. Um, so, yeah, but we just try to be as transparent as possible also with our stakeholders in that sense. Um, and just indeed ensure them that we are always keeping an eye on it and seeing uh, if it is going the right way. Uh, yeah. But I found that a very interesting process because indeed it was a uh, out of nowhere, we are now suddenly very interested on everything what uh, the Prime Minister has to say and how does that impact <laughs> our sales forecast, yeah. which is uh, yeah completely different than anything we've done before. Good to hear. Yeah, cool to hear as well. Hey, yeah, Peter Paul, I'm looking uh, yeah, so at you again already. <laughs> yeah, so, so it is really interesting. Yeah? So I think that a lot of uh, uh, macroeconomic models are really listening to what presidents and people like that are saying. And now we even have to use this in our... Uh, in our internal sales uh, forecast, which is, I think, interesting. And we also learned that yeah, we kind of have like a, a, a COVID severity index created. Uh, and I think both with an, an expected value and a kind of a corrected value. <laughs> so it's also really interesting. Um, yeah, but looking back, what, what I, I really liked the, the, the level at which we're doing uh, data science for forecasting now. So with the Delphi platform, the Dr. Watson, all these things around the operation of, of running that. And I think that that's really standing out for me in this, uh, in the conversation we just had. And I, I really like that. And that makes me curious, what's the next step in, in this one? What, what, what are the software engineers going to work on together with you as data scientists to improve this even further? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think for now they're very busy with releasing the new version of Delphi, which will go live, I think, next week, if all goes well. Uh, and that is basically, I think, a really big release because now we have been working on it for a while. And of course, we are also very, you know, challenging customers. So we, we also come up with a lot of requests. <laughs> so they were very busy on indeed taking into account all the feedback and making it even better, which, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to, to see as well. Um, yeah, and after that, I'm not sure yet what they have uh, in mind for us, but it's also not, they're not just busy with the platform, right? So they also provide us a lot of support on our daily work as well. Uh, there's always a helping, well, now that we are at home, a helping chat <laughs> where we can always go and get support to make sure we're not stuck um, on anything. So, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely, I think, a great part of the team to, yeah, to have that expertise there as well. Harry, right, do you know about anything else they, they are? Busy with. Well, for, for me, it's uh, interesting that uh, every now and then there are some sneak peeks into what's happening with the platform because they are also asking us frequently about the feedback. So how 
we are actually using platform because well, as it can always happen with any kind of service, there is the way that the platform or anything is intended to be used and there's the way that it's actually being used. So it's really interesting to like uh, compare the two with while the platform is being redesigned and improved. And then we can also have our say in uh, that maybe we are actually using something a bit differently than intended, but for us, it makes the, our workflow much easier. And then the platform can also be adapted so it fits our needs better. So, so for me, that's uh, a really interesting like uh, feedback loop process that we have with our engineering team. Yeah, and I would say for the team at large, we're also now entering the most crucial phase that we have in the whole year, which is preparation for the season. And of course, as a forecasting team for us, that comes now and <laughs> not in six months from now. Um, so yeah, everyone will be, of course, for the next three, four months in full focus on making sure we are doing the best we can because, you know, from November on for us is a little bit hands off and do a lot of cleaning and a lot of preparation for the new year. But these next months is really about, yeah, doing the best we can to make sure we provide the best forecast possible for the season. So, yeah, that's so your season is starting right now. That's what you're our saying. season is starting yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah, it's a different, a completely different timing than for the rest of the organization. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> pressure is on. Yeah. And this is true because in, in IT, we also rely on the, the scaling of the IT landscape is also based on, on forecasts uh, from uh, from this area. So that's uh, good to know. All right. Yeah, Petspal, then go to the last uh, closing round question, uh, right? Yeah, so yeah, what's your most important uh, takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, that's a good one. I think from my side, uh, it's really about, so now that we have been as a team in the company for around three years uh, that we do forecasting with the data science team, I really think it is important that all teams who are making decisions based on a forecast, if they don't have yet a forecast provided by us, they probably should ask because indeed data-driven forecasts do help you with better decisions. And I think it's all about indeed serving our customers the best possible while also serving the company the best possible. And um, yeah, that, that kind of impact that really drives us and that's what we, what we are here for. Eric. Yeah, and for me, well, trying to predict the unpredictable is uh, definitely very challenging, but also like for data scientists, it's, uh, well, lots of fun because we can try all our different and sometimes maybe crazy ideas if uh, a model like this or that can actually help us. But uh, yeah, like it definitely something that I think is really important is to have the connection with the business. So it's always like a discussion between the two sides and uh, both sides can learn a lot from each other. So it's not only trying to maybe apply the state of the art data science solution and uh, yeah, that's it. But uh, all there, there's like a lot of knowledge that can come from uh, like the two sides discussing, uh, throwing around ideas, brainstorming. So I think that uh, yeah, this is, the way that we should move forward, the, the way we are working right now, and uh, yeah, keep on moving forward. Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks for your time and and sharing this these cool stories with us. I think it's really cool that we now have, yeah, we had an insight in in both what we uh, what we build as a platform for forecasting and the combination of technologies and the, and the models, the input data. We talked about that aspect, but also how it worked out during the the corona times and how you were able to adapt to to that change as well it was really cool to to hear that part of the story so it's a combination of uh, two cool stories i think so uh, thanks and uh, yeah good luck with your 
coming uh, period uh, the, uh, the season period for you and uh, yeah, building up the great forecast for the, the things we are going to use uh, in, in the company in the near future so thanks and uh, hope to have you uh, in another episode as well yeah thanks Thank a lot and uh, thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us it's a lot of fun thanks for listening to this episode if you liked the episode check some of the others Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!